One of the things I love about this church is that uh, we have every age group ministering uh, during our service, and uh, it's a joy to see that, to see God at work, uh, and uh, to be a part of it. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Last week, uh, we looked at the distinction, the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man, and how uh, to man, God's wisdom is foolishness, but in fact, uh, it is humanity's wisdom that is ultimately foolishness. But that leaves us with the question, if our wisdom is so very different than God's wisdom, then how do we ever gain God's wisdom? How do we ever find insight and understanding and perspective into the way that God thinks, into, into understanding things through his lens, from his perspective. How is it that we're able to, to learn these things, express these things, experience these things? Well, in the second part of chapter 2, Paul goes into that answer. He begins to answer that question, and, and the, the short answer is simply the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that grants us God's wisdom. And Paul goes to great lengths here in 1 Corinthians to, to outline exactly how that works and, and why that works and, and the, the, the work that the Holy Spirit does uh, in our life, in our experience. So uh, follow along with me, if you will, beginning uh, in verse 6, of chapter 2. We read, We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages of our glory. For our glory, excuse me. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it, since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind? that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the spirit who enlightens, instructs, and guides us. Lord, we pray that this morning you would help us to gain a deeper understanding of, of who you are and who you've called us to be and the relationship that we share. God, help us to, to be able to walk in a way that, that reflects the presence of your Spirit in our lives and hearts. 
and we'll give you all the glory because you alone are worthy of it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Paul here breaks away slightly from his discussion of human wisdom versus godly wisdom by talking about spiritual wisdom. And, and he says here uh, in this introduction, we do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature. Now that, that word mature here um, is, is actually a very distinctive word in the Roman culture. It was a word that was used among their mystery religions. Uh, the Roman culture had lots of different religions, as you can expect, just as we do uh, here in the modern culture and so forth. But one of the, the cultures they had that was really kind of distinctive to um, the Roman culture was what were called mystery religions. And, and these were religions that were steeped in, guess what? Mystery. <laughs> okay. Um, there, there was a lot about them that was hidden from people who were outside of the group outside of uh, that body of believers, outside of that particular uh, religious belief and, and perspective. But those who are on the inside, those who were, quote, initiated, would be the term we would use today, they were called the mature. This was the term that's used here, the initiated. And so Paul starts by saying, we speak a word of wisdom, but we speak a word of wisdom to those who are initiated, those who have been changed. Now, changed by what? Changed by the presence of the Spirit. And, and Paul here, throughout this, this passage, gives us three ways that the Spirit grants us wisdom. Three ways that the Spirit moves us from being outsiders to being initiated, from being people who uh, don't understand who God is and God's ways of thinking and God's ways of operating to people who do. And the first way that he gives us is that he brings clarity to the unclear. Okay. Christ, the Spirit comes in and, and gives us clarification to things that are unclear, things that we don't understand. Okay. As a, as a teacher by profession, you know, that's hopefully one of the things I do. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. You know, um, I go in, I sit down, or I stand up, usually actually with students. I stand before them and we talk about certain things, certain realities that they're confronted with, and I seek to hope to bring them to understanding. We've all experienced that in our life. We've all been in those situations, whether it's our work situation, uh, you know, our school educational situation, relational situations. You know, uh, different people have different types of wisdom. There are people who, who are really good at relationships. They can look at things and they can say, well, you know, maybe if you tried this or this and, and you do that, and you're like, oh, I understand now. I understand what's going on here and, and you work it out. There are those who are real good at intellectual endeavors, making things that are sometimes uh, unclear, more clear. And there are those who are, are good at emotional intelligence or spatial intelligence or mathematical intelligence, it's all sorts of different types of intelligence that bring clarity um, from the unclear. But the Spirit brings us clarity to the things that are unclear in terms of our understanding of God. And, and he does this two ways, or he does this for two reasons, really. Number one, because it's unclear because it's foreign to us. 
it's strange to us. We we just don't live in the, the realm, in the situation, in the mindset that God lives in. We are foreigners. We are strangers to that because of the fall, because of the actions that uh, have taken place uh, at the fall with Adam and Eve and every every person since then who has decided to rebel against God, which is all of us, decided to rebel against God, we don't understand his mind. We don't understand his heart. It's foreign to us. It's strange to us. And I think sometimes we struggle with just how foreign it is. A few years ago, my family had, had the benefit, the pleasure of living in England for a year. It was, it was, it was an amazing year. Okay. And one of the things we decided to do when we were living there was we wanted to see as much of the country as we could. Okay. And since where we were living was real close to Wales, the first place we decided to go to was Wales. It's logical. It's just right there. So we got in our car, and we took off. And we head into Wales, and we were confronted by these signs. Okay, Now, if you read the first, the top of the sign on the left, you can kind of, pedestrians look right. Okay, that makes sense. Traffic's going the wrong way in that, direct, in that environment, so you want to look right instead of left, which we're used to doing. Okay, but notice the words underneath. I'm not even going to try and read that. Why? Because I can't. That's Welsh. Okay. It says the exact same thing. Pedestrians look right. It just says it in Welsh. Okay. The, the one on the right, uh, you have that, again, I'm not going to try and say that at the beginning, but you can see the translation there below, new road layout ahead. Okay. Now, here's the thing. The Welsh are a part of my ancestry. Okay. I, my family comes from England way back, um, so forth, and, and part of my family comes from Wales, part of my ancestry, but I don't know that language. Okay. Now, there's another part of our trip there in England where we're reading things and we're looking at things that are just English, but they're still kind of strange to us. For instance, I remember one sign that said, Dead Slow Patient Crossing. Dead slow patients crossing. And it took me a little bit to figure out what they're saying. They're saying drive as slowly as you can because patients are crossing here. Okay, it was, it was at a hospital. The patients are crossing the road here, so drive as slowly as you can. Okay, but that's not how we would put that. We would not say drive carefully. We would say drive carefully, drive slowly, patients crossing, something along that. We would say dead slow. Especially that way. Dead slow patients crossing. That's kind of scary if you stop and think about it. <laughs> okay? Maybe some zombies or something crossing the street there. I don't know. But I was able to figure it out because it's my language. Okay. Now here's the thing when it comes to spiritual issues. A lot of times we think of spiritual issues through the lens of it's kind of like um, the Queen's English. It's a little bit different, but we can kind of figure it out if we spend enough time with it. But what Paul says here is that before Christ, before the working of the Holy Spirit, it's like the Welsh. Spiritual truths are like are are, are like uh, that that Gaelic language there, which we look at and we just don't understand. 
totally foreign to us. We think because we've grown up in a culture of Christianity, because we grow up uh, around, uh, you know, even even our, our history of our country and so forth is in many ways shaped through Christian thought or literature. You know, you read somebody as, as secular as William Faulkner, but just about every one of William Faulkner's books is is embedded is is has just tons of biblical images thrown into it, okay. and so because we've grown up in that sort of environment, we think, man, I got the spiritual truth down. I know the things of God, or I understand the things of God. And what Paul is saying is, if if you believe you know the things of God, but you don't have the Spirit working within you, you are deceived. You really don't. Because it's completely foreign to who we are. And so we need the Spirit to come in and, and, and bring clarity because it's foreign. We also need to bring clarity because the text here says it's hidden. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery. A wisdom God predestined before the ages of for our glory. There is a sense in which the truths of who God is, is is hidden from us. Again, because of the fall, because of the separation, because of the division between us and God, it had to remain hidden. We, we, we would have twisted it. We would have, have altered it. One of the things that, that we deal with a lot in class is this idea of how there are things revealed in the New Testament that are hinted at in the Old Testament, but not clearly revealed. Things such as the afterlife. Things such as the Trinity. Okay. Now, if the Trinity is an eternal reality, as we have said it is numerous times in previous discussions and so forth, if God has always been three persons but one God, why is it not really expressed or communicated or clarified for us until the New Testament. Because of where Israel was. Where Israel was before the coming of Christ, before, before they, they learned who to be, uh, who they were supposed to be during the exile and so forth. If God had revealed his triune nature prior to them learning some very important lessons about the, the singularity of God, then Judaism would have slipped into a polytheism, three gods. Why? Because that's the only way they perceived a reality. Different gods. But once Israel finally bought into the idea, which happened after the exile, once they finally bought into the idea that there's one God and only one God, now God can begin to introduce more clearly, more explicitly, the, the Son, the Spirit, the Father. Because now... Even though those three have been revealed, we don't say we have three gods. We have one God, three persons. And so God's timing in working there was, was to, to hide things, in a sense, until we were ready to receive it. Until we were really ready to correctly receive it. And there's multiple examples of this throughout the Old Testament, moving into the New Testament. But one of the clearest things, that, and what Paul has been dealing with here in chapter 1 and 2, 
is that the Messiah would suffer. When you look at the passages that deal with the suffering of the one who's coming, they're not explicitly messianic. Isaiah 53 is one of the, the clearest passages. By his stripes we are healed. He's bruised for our iniquities. You have all these, these statements there in Isaiah and the suffering servant passages that, that talk about this one who's going to die in our place. But the Jews, even to this day, the Jews struggle with those passages. They don't know what to do with them because they're not messianic. They're not in the sense of Messiah. And so when Paul comes in and he starts saying, the Messiah died, the Messiah was hung on a cross, these sorts of things, the Jews were like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. That can't be who our Messiah is. They didn't make the connections they needed to make. And Paul here actually quotes from Isaiah 60 uh, when he talks about these things. What no eye has seen nor has heard and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. That's from the same passages where the suffering servant songs are found. And I believe Paul's doing that intentionally to, to communicate to the church here that this idea of the suffering Messiah was in some ways hidden because they weren't ready for it. Israel wasn't ready for it. But now with the, with the indwelling of the Spirit, with the work of the Spirit, these things can be revealed and we can understand. He brings clarity to things that were unclear. For us today, believers, we still enjoy this benefit, this blessing from the Spirit. I'm sure almost all of us who are believers can, can share of a time where we, we read a scripture that really didn't make a lot of sense to us. And we prayed for clarity. We prayed for wisdom. We prayed for insight into that scripture. And as we looked and as we read and as we prayed, the Spirit brought clarity, brought understanding. Or, or perhaps it's a scripture that you'd heard several times before, never really understood it, but then after becoming a believer, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. Okay, That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings clarity to the unclear. The second thing he does is he connects the unconnected. If we're here and God's over there, then how do we bridge that gap? How do we get together? How do we find connection? Well, Paul tells us that, that the Spirit's able to do this. He's able to bring that connection for two simple reasons. Number one, because of his relationship with God. Now, verse 10, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. He understands the mind of God. He, Paul goes on to say that who can know a person's thoughts except the Spirit within him? And he says what? No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God, what? He knows, he connects with God because he is God. He is deity. He is to be worshipped. He is to be acknowledged. He is one of the, the three persons of the Trinity. And so he understands God. He, he knows God. But what else? 
he also relates to us. He knows us. Now we who have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand the things freely given to us by God. Those of us who are believers of what? We have received the spirit. The spirit dwells in us too. And so the Holy Spirit is able to bring God and us together because he's a part of both. He is the fullness of God, and he is dwelling within us. And so the conversation can take place. Think of him as perhaps a, a, a translator, a mediator, okay? somebody who, who kind of understands things. We, we, we've, we've all had those experiences, again, in, in our work situation, in our relationship situation, and so forth, where that person who was able to, to bring us to, to reunify broken relationships. And usually the person's able to do that. Why? Because they can explain both sides of the situation. You ever gone to or, or heard about someone who's gone to a counselor who only took one side? You know, they go to the counselor and and the person's like, well, you know, this person's the one who's always right. I've, I've seen lots of people in those situations, and eventually they stop going to the counselor. Why? Because the person who's, quote, always wrong doesn't feel heard. And it doesn't really heal the relationship to be told you're always wrong. Okay. But that counselor who can hear both sides and can communicate maybe in a different way than that person was capable of communicating. This is what they're trying to get across to you. This is what they're trying to say to you. This is how they're feeling about this experience. That person's able to bring them together. Because they bring clarity. They bring understanding by rephrasing, perhaps, the viewpoint of the opposing sides so that both sides understand. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Us in our rebellion, in our limitedness, in our in our failings, in our failures as as, human, as humans, we don't understand God. He says things to us, and we're like, "Huh?" And the Holy Spirit's able to speak to our spirit, our experience, our reality, and and tell us, "This is what He's saying. This is how that applies. This is how it works in your circumstance, in your situation." So the Holy Spirit's able to, to, to bring us together, bring the, the, the two sides together because of his relationship to God and his relationship with us. But then the third way the Spirit grants wisdom is he transforms us into new beings. He changes who we are. And 13 through 16, Paul contrasts the man without the spirit or the natural man in some translations with the spiritual person, the person with the spirit. They're different. When we come to Christ, when we come to God, And we acknowledge our limitedness. We acknowledge our failings. We acknowledge our sinful status. And we admit that we need God's help. And we call out to God for that relationship. 
All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Paul says in Romans chapter 10. So when we call upon the name of the Lord, when we call out and we ask for that, that help, that, that assistance, that change, the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us and we become new creations, new creatures. We're not like we were before. And so we begin to understand things a little bit differently, a little bit better. To go back to the, the language imagery of early, uh, that, I, that I brought up earlier, I had a, uh, actually it's Christy's cousin. Uh, she studied Spanish for, for many years. And she was, she was pretty good at Spanish. But she really felt like there was something kind of missing. And so she undertook uh, a, a uh, immersion program where she went and lived in Mexico for a year. And she said that whereas before she had the words, being immersed in the culture gave her the thoughts, gave her the perspective, gave her the outlooks, gave her the, a, a totally different way. She was no longer just speaking the words and and what they supposedly meant, she was actually seeing things through their eyes. That immersion heightened everything for her. And that's what Paul is talking about here in terms of Christianity. When we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit teaches us, He instructs us, He brings clarity to the unclear, He, he connects us with God, and so we're in conversation, we're talking, he does what? He immerses us in God's mindset, in God's perspective. And that immersion changes us. It changes not so that we're not just speaking the words that are biblical or, or Christianese, as it's sometimes called. We're, we're not just speaking this language and, and uttering these words. We're seeing things differently. We're seeing the world differently. And Paul sums that up really well with his last sentence here in chapter 2. We have the mind of Christ. We have his mind. It's no longer our thoughts. It's no longer our, our, our purposes and, and our mindset and our perspective. It's the mind of Christ. And what you really have here, as Paul is explaining this, is an explanation to to the very first thing we, we, we saw back when we started in chapter 1, where Paul is calling for the unity of the church. If you remember, we talked about that, and we, we talked about how Paul says that, that uh, there in, in verse 10 of chapter 1, I want you all to think the same way. And we said, does that mean we all have to be like robots and, and think that? And no, that's not what Paul meant at all. What Paul meant was what? I want you all to have the mind of Christ. Which is the mind of what? It's the mind of humility. As he says in Philippians, did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but instead took on the form of a servant to dwell in our midst, to die in our place. That's the mind of Christ. The mind of the servant. 
The mind of, the, of Christ is, is, the, is the mind of compassion. Who sees the hurting and cares when they hurt. We're all painfully aware of the, the shootings that have taken place over the, the last couple weeks in our country. I received a call this past week from uh, a young man I led to the Lord a, a few years ago. He's an he's a elementary teacher now. He was really struggling after Uvalde, the events there. He said, because those kids look like the kids I teach every day. They're, they're the kids I work with. And he says, he says, one of the things I struggle with most, Tim, is none of my colleagues seem to care. It's just like it's another day in America. They've, they've become hardened to it. They've become calloused to the hurt. That's just the way it goes. He says, I, I don't know what to do because I, I don't see things that way. I said, you don't see things that way because that's the Spirit working within you. The compassion, the love that God has planted in your heart. You don't become hardened to the things of this world. And too often, I think, believers have, have allowed themselves to become hardened to the things of this world. When Jesus looked at Jerusalem, what did he do? He wept. How easy would it have been for him to, to raise his fist in anger? To, to speak a, a word like the prophets of old. God's going to bring fire down on you. And, and yes, that was a component of his sermons at times, but more often than not, his perspective was what? Compassion. How many times the scripture says, he looked upon the throngs of people who were coming to him and was filled with compassion. That's what the mind of Christ calls us to have, calls us to communicate to the world around us. We get so full of tunnel vision that we don't see the hurts around us. We train ourselves to, to not care because caring brings hurt. Christ has called us to die to ourselves. Christ has called us to take up our cross. Christ has called us, in some ways, to a life of pain. Because the person who loves the Lord and who knows what God is capable of doing can't really dwell within a fallen world and not feel some pain, some sorrow, some grief. But the mind of Christ also what? It finds joy and obedience to God. So that even as we have the compassion and even as we, we hurt for the world and even as we feel pain in our own experience, in our own life, there is a peace, there is a joy, there is a, a, an overwhelming sense of God's presence as we walk and as we navigate our way through it. When Christ offered us the abundant life that he says he came to give, 
that wasn't a lie. That wasn't a, a misdirection. How can we both die to ourselves and take up our cross, but also have abundant life? We can do that because of the indwelling of the Spirit. He speaks to our hearts. He guides our minds. He gives us, as Paul says, the mind of Christ. And that's a journey. That's a, that's a maturing process. Remember, when we talk about salvation as presented in Scripture, there's always the three tenses of salvation. There's being, there's being saved from the penalty of sin. That's the first step. Okay. Then there's our present status, which is what? Being saved from uh, the power of sin. That's maturation. That's growing. That's learning. And then ultimately, one day we will experience being saved from the very presence of sin. That's the glorification. That's what we look forward to. And so when we talk about salvation and, and being saved, as we looked at last week, we, we're talking about this, this growing process. These things that we, that we look forward to, that, that we hope are part of our experience, the, the mind of Christ being one of them. They're not something that is there and, and it's just settled. It's something that we grow into because it's relational in nature. We come to understand God better as we live life with God. But the way we're able to accomplish that, the, the way we're able to grow is the way we grow in every other situation in our life. It's through discipline. You want to grow in terms of your build and muscles, what do you got to do? You got to work out regularly. You got to be disciplined enough to do it. You want to grow intellectually, you know, in, in your understanding, your knowledge of the truths of this world and science and those sort of things. What do you got to do? You got to spend time studying. It's not just going to happen. You got to read the books. You got to you got to learn the books. You got to memorize the books. You want to learn to grow in your profession. What are you gonna do? You gotta get out there and do it. You know? You gotta practice it. And sometimes what? You're gonna make mistakes on the way. But hopefully, you learn from those mistakes. You don't do them again. That's maturation. I don't know why we think that if that's the way it works in every other part of our life, that somehow when it comes to Christianity, that we can just say, okay, here I am. I asked Jesus into my life, I'm going to rest on my blessed assurance and, and go on with life and think that we're going to mature, that we're going to understand God better, that we're going to be better Christians, that we're going to be better husbands and wives and, and fathers and mothers and grandparents and, and, and so forth. I don't know why we think that's going to happen automatically when nothing else in our life happens automatically. God has called us to a life of discipline. And he's given us what we call the spiritual disciplines in his word. Worship, Bible study, prayer, fasting, evangelism. Those are the five primary spiritual disciplines. Those need to be a part of what we're experiencing. If we're going to grow in the mind of Christ, we need those five things to be a regular part of our expression and our experience. Because if they're not, we're going to stay right where we're at. Or worse, we're going to decline. 
God has called us. He has gifted us with the Spirit to be able to do all these things. And He's given us the instruments through the Spirit to be able to grow in our knowledge of Him. Are we committed to walking in that well? Are we passionate or even desirous of growing in our faith, of understanding the mind of God better? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come this morning. God, I confess to you my my failings. Those times when I've sat back and and just assumed growth would happen or things would change because I'm a believer. God, I pray that you would continuously put in my heart a desire to know you more and to make you more known. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that, that they would also experience that desire, that commitment, that call. That they would surrender to it, commit to it. God, I also want to lift up anyone here this morning who does not have a relationship with you. Who does not know what it means to give themselves to you and experience a life that you alone can grant. God, I pray that you would draw them right now. Help us, Lord, to listen to you as your Spirit bids and leads and guides. Help us to be responsive to that leadership. It's in Christ's name we pray these things.